0: Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So hello, Miles Riley. Hello, Um, I am really excited that I think you, you know, Karina, which this has been so much fun is each ripple, I get to meet more and more people that I would never have met.
1: Exactly. And and we share the same birthday. So it's kind of fun. But before I say anything, I just I started listening to your podcast. And I can't thank you enough for doing this work. It's really special. And it's made me smile quite a bit listening to the podcast.
0: It's actually affecting me more than I thought it would. It's like, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. And after the reunion in Paris, like everybody's story was was fascinating to me and it also felt, felt bonding. Mm-hmm. But with quarantine, it is like our world has gotten tiny and it's also gotten bigger. Yeah. And so I really appreciate you saying that because I think just people, hearing that friends are finding each other this way and reconnecting and also just having these memories come back of how special it was. Like I think yeah. you, we spoke earlier, I always tell people, don't tell people that, but we get on and we talk for a few, maybe half hour, just so we know where the interview is going to go. And then it's like, Oh, we could just keep going for four more hours and not record yeah. it. But just, um, Oh, I've totally lost my train of thought, but yeah, just that, Oh, you kind of can put it away. Like that was that part of my life. And that's no longer part of my life. And then you open right. that door, but wait, that was actually really significant and shaped the rest of my life. Instead of just closing the door. It's like, no, that's actually a really important part of who you are.
1: Yeah, without a doubt.
0: So we talked, you just had some fun stories, and it's going to be hard for me to like try to steer us anyway, because I, I want to hear them all again. But I would love for you to start with how you got into dancing. And please share about, your if your mother never heard this story, prepare. Yeah. Oh, us. she eventually did. She eventually okay. did.
1: Um, I, um, I was obsessed with dancing, and in particular, and in particular tap dancing, because I love the sound, obviously, that makes. But I was obsessed with, you know, variety shows on TV and movie musicals. I could not see enough of them. I was always happy when they would stop and start singing and dancing. It made me very happy. And I, you know, I basically wanted to be Gene Kelly, you know. And in those days, um, just there weren't that many boy dancers. And um, so I did every single play or church play and school play, anything that someone would let me perform, I'd go do it, I'd sing and dance. And then um, in middle school, from a paper route, I started going to a local dance school where I was very lucky. They had, I grew up in New Jersey, not that far from New York City, where they had some great teachers that came from New York. So they had a really good foundation. It was a kind of studio that they, instead of doing a recital at the end of the year, they did what they called a demonstration. So there were no costumes and everybody would come and you they would see you take a class. and But you would also perform a number that you learned because we were always doing numbers and dancing any place again that anybody would let us go dance. And so you really look forward to that. And we thought it was kind of special that it wasn't a dance recital. Was, this was more serious, you know? <laughs> and um, so I, I was really lucky. And um, anyway, so as we were talking earlier, so, I focused my high school life that I could by my senior year of high school take almost no classes. So I only had to take two classes in the morning from like eight to 10. And then I got on a bus and went to New York and took dance classes until about 3, 3 3.30 and then came home around five and did the plays that my school would do at night. So that whole last year of high school, I was pretty much in the city taking dance class and nobody knew I was doing it because (laughs) it was like, it would have been a big deal. And I would have gotten in a tremendous amount of trouble. In fact, I used to just casually walk past the bus and then jump on it and duck, you know? And so I would, you know, see shows and take dance class and, you know, watch all these, you know, professional dancers and like look up to them like they were gods. And um, yeah, so that's how I took my, you know, childhood dream into, you know, a, a little bit better professional situation. And you, did you, you got PE credits? For- oh yeah, so what happened was there was a girl in my school who was going to SAB, which is School of American Ballet, and she didn't have to take um, gym because she was taking these classes. Cause so I ordered my mother's signature from the dance classes that I was that I got out of gym so I could take these classes which they thought was great because it was, you know, even more intense. And again, nobody knew, you know, and I, I didn't even tell anybody at school other than the one girl who we take the bus for SAB because I was too afraid if anybody found out that I wouldn't be able to do it anymore and I'd get in trouble. And um, so it was very, very sneaky at the time. Well,
0: you were already ready for that life. The fact that in high school, you're getting yourself on a bus, paying for it, Yep. And you were ready to go in, like, high school. Did you feel like, just look, get me out of here so I can go do what I want to do? I was,
1: I was gone by my junior year, and I was counting the days. I didn't know how it was going to happen. If I really knew how hard it was going to be, I would have never done it, to be honest with you. But I had this, and it's interesting because it's how I even ended up getting a job at Toledo. When I wanted something, I just had this tunnel vision, and I thought, just go. Just go, in fact, the turning point, I will tell you, there was a girl I took with in New Jersey, Eileen Byrne, who I adored, who was like so talented. Oh, the girl could do anything, and I thought she's gonna be the rock star of dancers. And we were in class one day, in Chuck's class, I used to take Chuck Kelly in the city, and there was this guy, and he was so good. And I looked at him, I said, oh, I will never be that good. And she goes, are you kidding? You are that good. And I didn't think she would lie to me. And I said, really? She goes, of course you're that good. And that there are these moments that you have in your life. And that was a moment that made me say, oh, I can do this then. Because I didn't think, I thought it was something somebody else did. Even though it was my dream, I didn't think it was gonna happen because I didn't know anybody that it happened to. And that was one of those stepping stones and that's what my whole career, I feel like my career set me up for my entire life. They were it was like a lesson from each thing to the next to the next that took me to something that i didn't know was going to happen and then it did and those lessons helped me along the way so i was very grateful
0: so how did you go from taking class in new york to becoming a professional dance? i know like you also sang like it sounds like you oh i sang acted. i did anything that
1: they would let me do i was taking you know in new york you always took dance classes you took acting classes you took voice lessons I actually went to college for two weeks. I got because I thought it's gonna take me a while to get as good as these professional people and you know they're not gonna hire someone this young. So I stayed in New Jersey going to college and I did college in the morning and then took the in that case it was the train. And I thought I'll start auditioning just so when you're really ready, you know what the process is like. And literally it was actually my second audition. I had I was lucky that the, that summer I had done a local production of Pippin and knew the show, and it was one of my favorite shows. And we were lucky that the guy who put it together had done a national tour. So it was all the original Bapawasi choreography. Oh. And so... I go to this audition, it was actually quite hysterical. And with this part you didn't hear, I go in and this woman was in these black leggings and a big black sweater and a black hat with a funny voice. And um, she said that, you know, they needed a replacement to go and learn the show really fast. Um, So she was gonna teach us this combination quickly and we were only gonna get to see it once. And I knew the combination because of doing the show. And then she says, she said, okay, she called me. I was the first person she picked of this group. She said, okay, go the next room and sing. I went and sang a song, came back and gave a nod. She goes, okay, you have the job. Can you go to Chicago? And I said, sure. And it was gonna give me my equity card, which I knew was a real big deal. And as I was leaving, I turned to her and I said, did anybody ever tell you, you kind of sound like Gwen Verdon? And she said to me, honey, I am Gwen (laughs) Verdon. I almost died on the spot because I thought if I would have known it was Gwen Verdon, I would not have been able to walk because, you know, Gwen Verdon. Well, the end of the story, which you didn't hear earlier. So I was like terrified because I was going home. I was excited, but I was terrified because I was going to tell my mother that I got this job and I knew she was not going to be happy about it. So I told my mother she was not happy. In fact, she cried. And I was going to turn it down. And a friend called me and said, oh, my God, everyone in the studio is talking. you got Pippin. I said, yeah, I'm going to have to turn it down. Because my mother's really upset. She said, oh, no. She said, I don't know where in New Jersey you are if I have to come there to make sure you get on that plane to go to Chicago. She goes, you have to do it. I said, oh, but my mother's upset. She goes, your mother will get over it. And she did eventually. And then very <laughs> much. My mother was my biggest fan. She saw every show I ever did. I was very, very. Oh,
0: wonderful. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So So. where, so did you have where you're doing a show and then you hear about another one and go? Like, because it sounds like everything. It was a
1: combination of, once I was in that world, you were always hearing about something or you went to auditions. I mean, I eventually did get an agent, but ironically, I got more work not through my agent. And I was always I would start a show and then audition for the next show because I wanted to build up a resume and get as much stuff as I could because I thought that would be important important. I was also I started formally training later, so I felt like I had so much to make up and I was trying to get as much experience as possible. And so I would just go from one show to another. I would do something on the road and then come back and get to do it in New York. Um and um, you know. I, I never took a vacation. I just was obsessed about working. That's all I did. I just like get the next job.
0: Because I know, I don't know, the, I don't remember the exact order, but I know like Radio City, we need to talk about that one, but also oh, okay. the Vegas, beetle so, the order. It was, Radio City
1: was actually about my third job. And um, I was auditioning at the, there Jubilee this was before the fire. Jubilee came to New York to audition. And Vegas shows never really came to New York. And a lot of New York dancers were like, oh, it's Vegas, it's step touch, it's not hard work. Huh, did they know? Yes. And the same like month period I was auditioning and having callbacks for 42nd Street, Radio City, and Jubilee. I got Jubilee first, I got 42nd Street second, and I got Radio City third, but I was obsessed about Radio City when I was a kid, so I was like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna do Radio City!" And the funny thing is, Radio City was the shortest job. Forty um, Second Street was to go out of town and then come into New York. Jubilee, you, you know, was pre-fire, but that would be a long run. And but I was so because I thought I have to do Radio City, and so I went and did you know this twelve-week gig with Radio City, you know, with and I actually ended up doing two shows there over the years, but it was, I was very grateful I did it. Although everybody made fun of me that I turned down a Broadway show to do Radio City and, and I hadn't done, you know, Broadway yet at that point. And, um, but I was glad I did because I, it was, again, it was one of my dreams, you know, and there's that moment of stepping out on a stage that you admire, that there's nothing like it. And your body just, it's like, oh my God. It's like from a chorus line, when Deanna says to everybody, wow, you made it. You became somebody, you know, you got there. And I think like, is this really happening to me? Like Miles Riley from Roselle Park, New Jersey is doing, I I could never believe it was really happening. That was the thing that always blew me away.
0: So uh, you've done Broadway shows as well. So where does like the, the Vegas, like you've had a lot of wonderful crossover. And very I've, yeah,
1: I've been companies. really <laughs> lucky. I, well, I was, I, we had talked about this earlier. I just finished a job and it was in between like Christmas, New Year's, we had the worst snowstorm and there was an audition for this guy, really talented man and who's no longer with us. Unfortunately, his name is Errol Manoff. He had this company called Fantasy Factory and he had these puppets, but they were very sophisticated. And he would have one dancer with them. And so we had this audition in New York and not many dancers went because like subways weren't running and I luckily lived on 45th street and was at the Minskoff studios. And I went into audition and embarrassingly so, I was in a bad mood, it was a bad day and I acted poorly, I was really bad. And he said, I need a tall dancer. And I was looking at all the other dancers and nobody was tall. And I need someone who could do a good fan kick and a hitch kick and you know, I had a great extension. And I was in a mood. And so I turned to him and I said, "You need, and I was looking at these other guys and they weren't right for it. I just looked, I said, look, I'm only doing this once. And I did a hitch kick and bop you know, up to the shoulder and his eyes popped out of his head. And so he called me later that day and he even said to me, he goes, you really don't want this job, do you? And I was a little scared of it. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure. I do, but at the same time, I was thinking, you don't have a job, and then the pay was really good. So he said, watch this act tonight that's going to be on the Tom Snyder show, which was a late-night, late-late-night talk show after, like, a couple other talk shows. And I watched it, and I still didn't get it. And so I went to the studio the next day, took the job, tail between my legs, acted like hurt, like I just was so embarrassed about how bad I was at the audition and um, we rehearsed there. Oh, and then we had three days rehearsal in Vegas, but I have to tell you something. If you're going to Vegas for the first time, arrive at night, because we arrived that night, got off the plane. The, The Stardust sent a bus to pick us up. We drive down the strip and it's spectacular. And so, you know, I'm this kid still. And I'm like, oh my God. We checked, they let us stay in the hotel for three weeks. And, cause we were coming from New York and we needed, we were only gonna be there for 10 weeks. And we went to see the Lido that night. And we sat at Don Arden's table. Ooh. I know, and we were like, oh, and they, and they couldn't have tell us. And, we, and it was Ale Lido. And I'm blown away by this show. I had never seen anything like it. And we went backstage afterwards. And I was like, and small world is there were a couple dancers in the show that I knew from New York from dance class. And I was like, oh. And they were like, are you in the show? I said, no, I'm doing this act. And so we did this act. And uh, we, were, we had replaced Siegfried and Roy, although Siegfried and Roy had a much bigger thing. And there, was, there were two of us doing, it was kind of an audition, us and this magic act. And then we ended up getting the gig past 10 weeks and then I left it about six months later. So that was my introduction to Vegas. But I had this fantasy. I definitely wanted to work at the Lido as a dancer and I wanted to do it in Paris because I thought if you're gonna do it, do it in Paris. And I almost stayed because there wasn't an opening coming up in Jubilee and I thought if I got it once, maybe I'd get it again but I was missing New York and then, you know, I actually went to Chorus Line Hawaii and then went home. And, um, you know, but it was, um, I loved Vegas. Um, and, and I was there during the summer when it was hot. So oh, man. That, that's like, it was like, we used to go to backstage, I think was the name of the dance studio. And, yes, crack, please. and we would drink enormous bottles of water and soda, because we would sweat everything out of us. And I like, love. Uh, oh, and and I was the type that when I worked, I still liked taking class. So I went to class every day. Um, and I, in fact, I even think I taught some classes there because I used to teach Chuck Kelly's stuff because he was kind of like my main teacher. Um, oh yeah, I did because there was a girl there that I ended up grooming with when I knew from class. Oh, and there was another guy who taught there. Ron Santos he used to teach a fun class as well. Um, so yeah, I was in I was in Vegas for about six months. I went back to Vegas twice on tour, over the years. But um, I was there, I was there a, a, a sick maybe a little bit more than six months at the Lido.
0: I feel like I worked in Reno for Hello Hollywood, and I feel like Vegas and Reno were some of the best dance classes I ever took because you have people internationally coming in working at Jubilee and all these shows. To The oh, yeah. cultures. It was like there was so many it was hard to even figure out which ones you're going to take and just like the some of my favorite classes were Vegas and Reno because these hungry dancers who are performing at night are not done training they're training yes. themselves and we, we all the were best honor. yeah
1: yeah there was we would even sometimes between shows there was a guy who used to teach a class and we would do that i mean but i will tell you i remember calling all my in those days we used to write or call I called to my friends in New York and I said, let me tell you, Vegas, like that. We were all saying, oh, Vegas, Step Touch, Showgirls, what do they do? Let me tell you. They're <laughs> working their butts off. Broadway is a lot easier for the most part than Vegas. And those were the days of two shows night, three on Saturday. And those kids, they, did, like, they were not sleeping on that stage. They were <laughs> not. You know, it was not like phoning it in at all. And uh, I was—I got major respect for Vegas from day one. Day one.
0: Was New York always your base? So you would do a tour, come back to New York, or did you have? To yes, go back to New York?
1: I always had an apartment in New York. In fact, from like age, literally 18 to 30, I would spend an average of a third to half a year in New York, and then someplace else, except when I was in Paris, when I stayed for almost two years. And so I I would, or I would like, if I would be in New York and fly home for a day for an audition. In In fact, I used to fly home from Vegas, and I think about this now and how I ever got away with it. I would take a red eye, fly to New York, audition on American Airlines, it was not expensive, and then do an audition, fly back, and do a show that night. Like, it was I to be young! <laughs> it was insane, and and in, in, and because I was in an act, we didn't have a night off. So you worked seven days. I mean, the Mac was only about thirteen minutes long, but and I used to do that, you know. And that's actually how I ended up leaving because you know, of, I turned down a couple things, but I was like, okay, it's time, and I went on to the next thing. But I, I love Vegas very much. Did
0: how did you end up at the Lido in Paris? What was the jump?
1: Jump. So, I was doing an industrial in Germany and I was there for three weeks and I had a four day period where I was off. So I flew to Paris with one of those books on like Europe on like so many dollars a day. And I was running around because I thought I'm never gonna get to Paris ever again most likely, so see as much as you can. But I walked into the Lido, the show had just opened. Oh, I had seen a picture, the show Panache had just opened. I saw, seen a picture in a magazine of the men in the finale costumes and I was dying to wear it. I said, oh my God, I have got to wear that costume. So I walked in and asked for an audition and they said, sure, come back tomorrow. And I came back and it was, I had never had an audition just by myself ever. I mean like at a callback when you're in the room singing but never as a dancer walking in. So I walked in, it was a transitional time when Pierre Rambert was not taken over yet, but kind of was. And Bluebell was still who you were auditioning for. So, and see, Babe Maria was the dance captain. And I walk in, change right there. I'm all warmed up, ready to go. And she goes, okay, give me a ballet combination. And I was like, oh my God, like usually it's like, say show you steps. So I did the ballet combination from chorus line. Because okay, well, give me like a theater dance combination. I thought, well, don't do chorus line because they're going to know you only do chorus line. Or that's what they're (laughs) going to think. So I thought, well, it's the lead-off, so do something with lots of kicks. And so I did lots of kicks and jumps and splits, and I had a really good extension. And then she says, okay, Steve, teach him the opening number. And Steve goes to teach me the number, and I'm really good at picking up. I couldn't get it. I'm like, I was not getting the movement. I thought oh, this is so embarrassing. I thought, I just blew this audition. This dream is, is history. And I turn around waiting to hear thank you, but no thank you. And she says, okay, I want you for a year. And I was like, oof, I can't. And I was first in shock because I blew the audition. And um, in my mind. And she go, I said, I, oh, I can't commit for a whole year. She goes, right, well, you just have to finish up this contract. And it was like, I think about eight or nine months. So, I went home to New York, finished up some things, came back, and I was so, again, embarrassed that I thought, and when Steve was teaching me the show, he, he even said to me, because yeah, I learned like half the show the first day, and he said, I thought I was going to have a hard time teaching in this show. You couldn't pick up the opening number, but you were so good otherwise, and I said, oh, I blew the audition. I was so embarrassed. For some reason, I couldn't pick it up, but so I learned the show and I what he said to me right off, he said, listen, when I leave the show, you'll have my spot. He had a great track in the show. Steve and this other guy, Todd, Fabulous Dancers, were both understudies for the three principal guys. And the show had just opened. They had finished cookery, Rico, opened the show, so everybody was starting to take vacations. So Steve and Todd, vacation overlapped, So there was like a four day period and I was in the show three weeks. And so Pierre comes up to me and he said, listen, would you mind coming in and learning the principal spots because there's a three-day, four-day period that we don't have a cover. You're never going to go on, but just in case. I said, so of course. I was like, yes. And so I had rehearsal that day, learned it that night at the show. You did not hear this earlier. You're going to love it. So one of the guys during the, First show gets hurt, that's a principal. Pierre comes running back, he said, oh my God, can you go on? I was like, Peggy Sawyer out of 40 seconds, I said, absolutely. <laughs> and I then got to wear the costume that I didn't get to wear because it was a finale costume of the principals, I was Yay! so excited just for that costume. And so I do the, do the um, show. He comes back, he goes, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, he said, you didn't skip a beat, you performed. and." So I started being a principal understudy at that point and so it was like one of those highlight moments of my career of you know you know who doesn't want to be a principal you know and here I was and I was the new guy on the block and there were you know 12 other boys there and they said hey it's you and um, so it was a magical time for me I loved dancing in the show I loved everybody there I loved living in Paris and taking advantage of everything that Paris offered. Um, I used to love taking class in the Marais. And there was always some other dance thing to do. They kind of didn't want you to do it, but I would just do it and not say anything. And, uh, (laughs) and And so at the and I had a history. I'd never stayed with the show for a long period of time. And at the end of that contract, it was even, it was probably a month before they were like, oh, do you want to stay? And I was like, absolutely. And I signed on and was like, committed for a whole nother year. I never did that on any show ever.
0: What made and you change for this one instead of doing a six month?
1: I thought that I'm never gonna have this chance again. Who, they're paying me to live in Paris. Right. So I we're mean, Making a lot of money. And I had great spots in the show and I just loved it. And, um, you know, I was, my partner at the time we were both dancers we actually met on a show in new york that was one of the worst shows they ever did and um <laughs> we fell in love and we, we spent as much time in new york as out so we'd always meet somewhere in the world it was hysterical and he actually ended up going to hong kong and um so we were apart at that point about nine months and i called him up one day i said uh it's been too long come here and you know he then came to paris and spent about six weeks um, you know that he wasn't working, and you know it was great living there with him and dancing in the show. And I was still going to Germany and Italy to do other things because I they gave us a lot of vacation, and I just would book work during vacation and go somewhere and work. You know, oh my God. it was like like why would I take a vacation if someone's going to pay me to go somewhere? It was my mind, and then I'm right. you know in some wonderful place. And uh, what we touched on briefly earlier, I ended up leaving the show. Um, my partner got sick. And so I went, I called Pierre and I said, I need to take a week off to go to New York and check on what's going on. And he was, this was in the height of the AIDS crisis or actually it was pretty early, but still the height of the AIDS crisis. And he was diagnosed with AIDS. And in those days you got sick and you died quickly. I went home, literally put him in the hospital after a week, flew back to Paris, told Pierre that I was gonna have to leave. Um, there was a big TV thing that night. He said, I really need you here tonight because I didn't want to dance. I was not mentally in a place to dance. He said, I need you to dance tonight. And I was doing principle. And I remember it was the first time ever I danced in a show that I did not feel a thing. I was like, my world had been turned upside down. And I thought, I thought, oh my God. And I hadn't told anybody yet what was going on. I thought, you were just terrible. And Pierre came back to me, he said, Miles, I can't believe how well you did in the show. I said, you're kidding. I, and so muscle memory does work. The next night was my last night. I will tell you, it was a magical moment. So I was in love with Paris. Um, so I got into work and I went into dressing with the boys dressing room. I said, listen guys, I'm gonna be leaving the show. This is gonna be my last show and I explained why. And I said this after the first show. And I thought, go to the other dressing rooms and let them know. And I burst into tears. Then I went up to the girls principal dressing room and I told them, and again, burst into tears. I was devastated, because I loved it there so much. And I couldn't go to another dressing room, because I just couldn't handle it. So I did the show, and it it was the finale when people would leave the show, all the girls would kiss them and cover them in lipstick. And it was one of the biggest highlights and loves of my life. And I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Um, So I'm walking back up to go up the stairs. And somehow everybody found out, and all the girls kissed me. And I was covered in, whew, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Sorry.
0: No, it's beautiful.
1: Covered in lipstick. And the curtain drops and they all turn around and they applaud. And I was just heartbroken that they could be that nice to me. And I packed up my bag and I left the show that night and um, thought I would never ever get to go back there again or ever go back to Paris and went home and dealt what was there. And the one thing I will tell you, and I say this to people about Paris all the time, it's the most magical and wonderful place. It's like New York for me, but even more so. You can always go back to Paris, and I've been lucky enough to go back many times. I've seen every Toledo except the one that's running now. And um, I will even tell you the first time I got there, I had this feeling, was sitting, eating lunch in the Tuileries, and I never felt more at home. There was something that made me have to be there. And I, there was a woman I took French lessons from. Her name was Madame Baillossier, another Australian girl, Lisa, turned me on to her. I learned more from that woman than any one person in my life. And she prepared me for so many things that I had no idea were coming. And so did Paris. So it's a very special time in my life. And it's funny, people always ask me, what is your favorite show you've ever done? And do you miss it? And I do miss it. And I always say, you're never going to believe this because I've done some pretty cool shows. I love Dancing at the Lido. There was Mm. just something so special, everything. I mean, it wasn't your typical um, stage, you know, like a theater, but there was something so special. And it really felt like, an honor, I felt that way at Radio City, but there was something of, and I felt that way in New York too, without a doubt. But the Lido was special. And um, so I, I always tell people, you're not gonna believe this, it was the Lido. It was one of my favorite things
0: that I ever did. Mm. I so appreciate your tenderness in that story. Um, and we talked a little bit earlier before we recorded of how many of us have lost people to AIDS. Yeah. And for generation, doesn't really know what that was like if you're living in the world of show business and every, like if you like what you were saying in, in class like that person's no longer there and can you share because there were things that were so beautiful and sad of what we've lost that those people are not here to, to create. it was
1: just an incredibly difficult time you were scared for yourself and but literally every week somebody was dying or there'd be, did you hear? Or you'd see them lose weight, or you'd see the KS marks. We would do benefits in dance classes to help pay people's insurance or their rent. We were constantly bringing food to people, um, taking them to the doctors. It was, when people describe, my father used to talk about the war when I was a kid. And that's what it felt like. It yeah. really, it just felt like every day you were being slaughtered. And, you know, for years, no one did anything, you know, and it was very difficult. And I remember one day going to my doctor and I had read something in a paper about a military budget. And I said, you would think, oh, it just was making me crazy. He said, no, support the military budget because they put pork on that to get some money to HIV. Because at the time, here's another interesting thing about my time, in fact, Ronald Reagan was the president and wouldn't even say it. Well, I found that I was, HIV positive in Paris, and I went to a wonderful doctor at the Percy Institute named Dr. Dormont. It turned out he was um, Rock Hudson's doctor. And he wrote a book that came out a couple of years ago. And I was like, um, and this man was brilliant. I learned so much from him. But, um, and at the time when my partner was diagnosed, I said, when I went to him, he, I found I, I out found I, I, I was HIV positive from the Pasteur Institute. I mean, hello. And they sent me to him, and it was at this research hospital. And he said, to truly understand what was going on with your blood, I need to take your blood every day for three weeks. And he did. And he was like, you're fine right now. Go home. Take care of your partner. He will not be here for a long time. He said, come back to me when you're done, because there'll be more options for you here than are in the United States. And I always stayed in touch with him. Um, because, and he taught me something. Early on, he said, ignore what the press says. It's just show business. You should understand this better than anything else. We already know that stuff. They're just giving you stuff to sell newspapers. He says, ignore it. And so I do, for the most part. I I go to the source. I go to my doctors. I'm very lucky. I have very good doctors. And that's where I get information, Mm -hmm. even today, on this virus that we're all living through. That's where I get my information from.
0: Yeah. So I'm really grateful that you're still here because... There was something, and if you, I don't know if you're going to say it the same way you said it, of, of the people that we've lost that would have gone on to, to oh. be such an impact in, in theater and arts.
1: In everything. But it, But yes, I mean, we lost. There were so many, you know, those kids that you worked with who would choreograph things that you knew, like, oh, my God, number one, you're so talented, I want to kill myself. And they would be working on things and going in directions, and you just knew that they were gonna be somebody big one day. And we lost them, six months later they were gone. And I, everything, directors, writers, designers, it was, it was an incredibly difficult time. You know, we lost a lot of talent. And, you know, and it's interesting because every now and then I, I'll hear a young gay kid say, oh, but you guys had so much fun. I said, we had so much fun? Let me tell you. Going to funerals in your 20s every week is not a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: it, 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 it wasn't. But um, luckily, you know, with the advancements they have today, I mean, I've been on medication. I was lucky I didn't go on any medication until I was 40 years old, and I will be 60 this year. Um, and I've never had an opportunistic infection. I've never been sick. I'm one of the really lucky ones that, you know, if, and that's why I always would talk about it with people because when you know somebody, that is dealing with something, it touches everyone. And when, you, like, when people find out that I'm, each, or it used to be, because it's not as much now, they're like, how can you be HIV positive? Like, how, I mean, and it's like, I'm the face of it. I'm, I'm another one of those people. And it opened up a lot of doors for people changing how they felt about the disease. Yeah. And, you know, because again, once, once it touches you, you pay more attention, you just do you know it's like these people out there right now you're hearing these stories of people that didn't want to wear masks or did whatever and then they got sick and they're like oh i get it
0: and it's a shame
1: that that's what has to happen sometimes it really is we need to be a little bit more compassionate and care about each other
0: thank you for even going into that because i know like with social media i didn't know that i'd lost friends until years later because i found out through friends that Right. so you know you don't know saying goodbye for the last time to these because I think when I when I didn't work in show business it, it, it affected me because I cared about people but when you're these are your peers and people you look up to it was a personal hit every every single day or you're worried if they don't have it now are they going to get it so it definitely affected I think in the communities where there are more people affected it, it it's different than when you see it on the news and when these are right. your people, your family, the people that kiss your face on your last show, like yeah. these, these, are your, these are your community, your family.
1: And the flip side of that and the joy of that is, and now I've lived this life where like, I've gotten together with people I worked at Toledo that their kids then got to dance there. I mean, how amazing is that? Or I will tell you another very personal moment. I worshiped my mother, she saw everything I ever did. And when my partner did die, She really wanted to comfort me. And she said to me, you know, in God's will. And I said, you know, mom, I love you. And I know you want to make me feel better. But you're not supposed to be burying all your friends in your 20s. And she got the, it really, she got the message. And then she ended up becoming an AIDS activist. And like, I used to volunteer in a hospital and see all these parents that would not come and see their kids. And I was crying one day, telling my mother about it. She goes, well, get me their numbers. And I said, why? She goes, because I'm going to call them. And my mother would call these parents and get them to come see their kids that were dying. It was, I mean, everybody loved her. They were like, oh my God, you know, I wish she was my mother. And I always said, listen, I love my mother. She was a tough bitch, plain and simple. I <laughs> joked, we didn't breathe without permission. But yeah, she, she gave me so much and she, she didn't want me to go into show business. And I warned her when I went into it, I said, you told me I could do anything and don't let anybody ever tell me it can. Yes. And that has I carried that. me through to like walking in like when I, I used to go to Broadway shows and go backstage, open the door, walk in and say, Can I give my picture and resume to the dance captain? I mean, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. I walked into Toledo and said, May I audition for you and then got a job. Yeah. Um I when I moved out, I live I have not done with it. a very nice life i live a combination of new york city and east hampton i'm a real estate broker in the hamptons same thing i came out here and i was like how do i get a job and so i just walked in and asked for it it's amazing what people will give you when you ask for it and then you're willing yeah. to do the work back
0: yeah, yeah it's know? not always it's like do you do the possible like yeah I, can I actually just go back and audition instead of waiting for the newspaper to tell me I have permission to yeah. come to it?
1: A- you, you have to make it happen. And it's like, I learned that in real estate when I first got into it. I thought it's not going to just walk in the door. You have to go make it happen. And show business set me up for that because it's the same thing. You're, it's like you're only as good as your next job. You have, you have to mm. constantly put yourself out there. So I'm grateful for what show business gave me. I heard I'm one of Somebody talked on one of your other podcasts about how it set him up or her up, you know, like if, if they only knew it's normal to change from one career to another to another. Yeah, Transitioning from show business helped me do that. And I thought I had no skills. I really did. I thought I had no skills. I was shocked with the skills that I have and used to this day. Just the discipline of, you know, I mean – I I had back surgery last year. I get up every morning, I do Pilates, boom. You know, like, how do you do that? It's like, because when you were a dancer, you did bar every day. I mean, you just did. You just do it. You know, you just do the next thing. And uh, so I have a lot of gratitude about that. And, you know, and that's why I say, okay, like this year, I'm gonna be 60 years old next month. And I'm like,
0: all right, what's next? Let's see what happens, you know? Yeah, well, you think of people, I'm thinking of my parents' generation, you do one job, your whole life, you get a watch and retirement and you're done. Like it, I think our gen, you know, the generations have changed, but also like that you've lived so many lives exactly. and the travel and experiences of people. And I love that you told me this, that you have rhinestones and glitz in your life still, even though you're a real estate oh so biz.
1: Well, I will tell you, it's something I gave up on a long time ago. Well, who doesn't love a good rhinestone? My husband does wardrobe <laughs> for Broadway shows and he's constantly doing something. And I am vacuuming up rhinestones on a regular basis. That is my life. <laughs> they will
0: never leave you.
1: It's, you know, and I, you know, and the plus side of that is I need something. He, he, he does it, you know, he glitzes it up and he's, he's, he's great with that.
0: We're coming towards the end because I always would, I would say I could probably do eight hours. Because I want to ask like twelve questions that will take us everywhere. But how if we can just do a little shortened version of we have to pull share into this ending. How oh, share okay. So I was my idol
1: working in Vegas and we used to go to the gym after work at a place called the Sporting House or the Sporting Club. It was behind the Lido It was this big fancy gym before those really existed. There was like a big basketball court and and so there was a group of us, we would go in and work out and we would take turns teaching class. And Cher had just done a show on Broadway that I saw before I got to Vegas called Come Back to the Five and Nine, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. So this woman walks in and it's Cher. And I'm like, what is Cher doing here? And so I just, again, not thinking, I walked up to her, I said, what are you doing here? I just saw you on <laughs> Broadway. And she explained that the show didn't do well, but they were gonna do a film. And I said, oh, I said, well, you know, we do classes and tonight I'm teaching, come take class. So she did. And from that I got-
0: She took your dance class.
1: Oh yeah, she took it, you know, and I we took turns teaching. So she came and took it. She was a hoot, absolute hoot. And um, she, then uh, she needed a replacement for a two week spot um, in her show. And it was within my show. So, cause I was only in the show for 13 minutes. Um, because of the act, I was able to do my show, go do hers, come back, do mine. And, uh, and I was like, please go on the road take me with you. And she was like, no, this is just a short gig. And, uh, and she was at Caesar's Palace. And, uh, yeah, it was a hoot. So, and
0: your husband has, did he do costumes? I'm any- <laughs> so getting confused So Bobby? he,
1: he does wardrobe for Broadway shows and he worked on a show, um, previous season called The share Show, based on her life, and there were okay. three girls that played Cher, and so it was kind of a full circle moment, um, yeah. and, you know, getting to, you know, Bob Mackie designed the costumes, and getting to meet him, and, you know, and, and, um, like, connecting us a little bit, uh, another level on show business, like, here, here I am, Cher, or just, and actually another funny moment, I adopted a dog, a, I rescued a Pomeranian that was abused. And her name was Cher. And at the <laughs> time I said, I cannot adopt this dog. Her name is Cher. I'm a six but two gay <laughs> man. I can't own a dog that weighs four pounds. That's named Cher. And I ended up taking her because nobody would. So oh Cher God. keeps coming back into my life.
0: Oh. Well, when I moved to Vegas before I auditioned, uh, for the for the lido for the stardust of the lido show Uh there but ended up going to do hello hollywood hello in reno i always wanted wanted to see that show it was fabulous Mm -hmm. but i worked at a flower shop at the mgm and would do i would deliver flowers to the dancers and i'd see those costumes like one day i'm going to be in this and then i did uh john davidson i did flowers for him
1: Uh and then
0: i the drummer for Cher for the show that she had in she had a show running in vegas for a while like it was kind of like her tv show like a variety show right then um, her drummer would order flowers so I would do Cher's flowers like once a week and I remember just touching those flowers like I'm almost touching Cher because this flower just like just when you told me that like I have people you know like Cher was my idol because I wanted to be on oh, her who show wasn't said those variety shows like a Carol Burnett show and they had dancers but yeah but, Cher is uh, our common denominator, besides being a blue belt. Yes. Um, we, we need to wrap up, and I ask all the dancers if they have pictures of the show, and you no longer, you have one picture you're gonna send me of you and Gene Kelly.
1: Yeah, I was when, I used to take my photographs with me everywhere. It was my way of keeping everything close. And when I was, I flew home from Paris, I always took that stuff with me on the plane. I wouldn't let it go underneath. And I was rushing to get to the hospital to see Wayne and I left my bed with my camera and all my photographs. So I lost like nine years worth of photographs. And the interesting thing was I was obsessed with taking photos. And at that moment I was like, you can't be upset about this. You have bigger things to deal with. And I stopped taking pictures for years. I was just like, I'm just gonna see life. I'm not gonna photograph it. And I never took a picture again until I moved out here, and I had to start taking pictures of houses. I stopped really? doing pictures because I thought I'm going to just live life and not worry about what it looks like. I'm just going to be a part uh, of it, and not you know. So it's a it's a double-edged sword. I so I've got some great memories, and because uh, I was oh I was definitely that person in the cast who would have hated me. I had to get the picture. I was uh-huh. like. And again, I had more pictures in front of buses with tasks <laughs> and backstage. And it's funny because someone actually did recently send me something from when we worked on a cruise ship. And I even remembered the moment of seeing me stretching. I said, oh, my
0: God, you were so young and you had hair.
1: You know? <laughs> um,
0: so this is this is a shout out to everyone listening. Because when we found each other on social media, like Hello Hollywood, people were posting pictures and like, who is this? And then I was tagged, and that's how I even found the group. So then I, because you can screenshot or you can save those pictures. So now my photo album is more full because we were all taking pictures of each other. So if anyone has pictures of Miles Riley from the, or even if you're gonna, if other people are gonna listen to this, your friends that maybe were on the cruise ships or chorus line, that maybe we can start sharing photos because as we're older, those memories are good, but then I think every time I see a picture, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, I remember this, but also like how you said way back in the beginning of this, you didn't know how good you were, so seeing those pictures, and I've heard a couple of dancers get emotional, like I was really good, and I don't think we could quite contain that younger, but I think some of those pictures, and you get to see what you're a part of, it's not that we need to be validated, but there is something really beautiful of the, yeah. of the pictures bring up that body memory and what it was like, not just, you know, just the onstage, the backstage the getting on the tour bus, all those, all those parts. It's like you've lived such a rich life. Like the, I love that you mm-hmm. just were like, what's next, what's next, what's next.
1: I will tell you something that's really important that I learned from this whole prophet, like how one thing takes you forward. But when I moved out to the Hamptons, and I was getting my first, what so I called it real job. I was terrified. I thought, oh my god, how am I going to work in a real job? I've never done this. And what I learned is that every job is the same. It really is the same. And it blew me away, the relationships, the people, the personalities. And so all of that life experience takes you forward. And I, that's dancers, No one tells you that. No one tells it to anybody, to be honest with you. Right. But all these experiences, when it ends, there's another door. There is always another door. And that's what every day is. And living through the AIDS crisis taught me that. It's like, okay, one more day. All right. today, Because we only get today. It's the only day we get. We could go out and plan the future. But, you know, do your best today. And it will take you somewhere you have no idea where it's going to take you. No idea.
0: I pictured any of those places when I just—I'm still back and thinking—you get on the bus uh, in New Jersey,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, like how, you would never have been able to guess where that would take you. Oh my
1: God! I say it to myself all the time. It's like Miles Riley from Rosa Park, New Jersey, which is was nowhere as far as I considered it at the time, and that I've got to do and me, the most amazing people, and do stuff that I didn't even know existed. Yes. And um, I, I do these career things at schools locally. And I always tell kids, don't worry about picking up. Because I was afraid if I didn't pick the right career, you know, you're know, you screwed for the rest of your life. I said, there are things out there that don't even exist yet that you're going to be doing. You're going to be creating it. Yeah, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Do it. Take the fear out. Take oh. the fear out.
0: That is like the perfect place to end because I mm. love that you're even that you're mentoring younger kids. That I didn't know that part from our chat, check- in so that's really beautiful. So I I feel extremely touched by your story, like just the tenderness and the grief, but the beauty and the resilience, and that you're just still creating. It's really, really, really inspiring. So I wish you the best, and I will Thank keep. You. I'm going to watch and see if photos pop up of you from those days and see we can do this collection for everybody like keep posting pictures and like we we have things in our photo album that we maybe don't know is going to be a treasure to someone else so right take care this of yourself was such a treat thank oh, you so wonderful. much thank you so much Best take of you. care.